This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. Now here we are, and we're in Revelation again. And it's chapter 2, and verse 8. Now, this is a very, very challenging section here that we need to be really thinking about. To the messenger of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life says, I know your tribulation and poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. Out of seven churches, uh, two churches uh, were not criticized by the Spirit of God. This was one. There's not many details here, but I think it is very, very challenging. Because in the end, as we work through these, and and we're looking at uh, making an assessment ourselves, personally, how do we compare? How does that speak to me? What is it that the Spirit is saying to the churches? Does he have a commendation to us? Or is it more of, come on guys, you've got to address this and repent. Now we know that there is an individual response in all of these, without question. But it's also a corporate response. And in this particular letter to this church, there's a very strong sense of corporate here. But corporate is always made up of individuals. So the individuals fit into the whole of this. And I, I think in any generation, it's good for God's people to measure ourselves. And actually, when you think about this, particularly today, we really do need to measure ourselves against this particular church in Smyrna. And Smyrna was um, it was a port and it's in Turkey, it's got a different name today. Uh, it was a very, very prosperous and influential city. But as God is addressing this church, he opens with something which is extremely significant for them, actually for every church everywhere, for every individual believer, it is necessary. But he starts with this, the first and the last, well, uh, we would say that in some other ways. We'd say, oh, the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, you can find that right in the beginning of the Revelation. This is God himself who is speaking. Uh, it is not a messenger that's speaking. It's not some angelic being that's speaking. It's not the specific messenger to the church. Um, whoever that was in this day, uh, the man of God that God had placed there uh, to to lead. He was not speaking. 
he was conveying the message that had been conveyed to him in this remarkable book here. Now, the interesting thing about this is there is a theological statement here, and that's always very, very important. So the beginning and the end, God who is supreme over all. But also, this God, and they knew this, this God is the very same as the Logos, the Word who became flesh, Jesus, the Messiah. And here he is. He's explained in a few words. And they are powerful words. And, and they, they are the bedrock of the reason why these people could overcome. The one who was dead and came to life. So now the message comes, it comes from the Alpha and the Omega. God who is great. Who is the creator of all good things? Bad things are a perversion of the good that he created. They do not exist on their own. This one who knows all, who sees all, who has such power that no one can stand against. Nothing can stand against him. But this one, he's also drawn close. And these people need to hear that message again because they're going to have trouble. It's one thing to understand that God is beyond and above all. And of course, that's uplifting. Of course it is. It's another thing to recognize that he has come near. You see, that, that's what changes everything for us. There are people in the world who, they, they kind of get the idea that God is somehow great and beyond. They, they have an understanding of that, but they leave it there. He's distant, but he's not distant. He is above and beyond, but he's near. See, this is the wonderful thing about God. And this is where we draw encouragement and strength from. This is the one who identified so closely with mankind that he went through death. And of course, God can't die. That's impossible. But God, who is the Word, who for our sakes took upon himself the form of human flesh, that self-limitation can actually die uh, because it doesn't stop God existing. It doesn't stop his eternity. It's the self-limitation that comes and he takes upon himself that heaviest of all burdens and he died. But he came to life. They need to hear that. It's not that they don't know it, but he wants to speak to them closely and kindly with encouragement, with power, and even say, I've actually been there myself. And now I am coming to speak to you. Now there's the source of encouragement. Uh, this is foundational doctrine and truth. Of course it is. But hold to the nearness. Hold to the truth that God himself has come near 
He has identified and he has taken upon himself the road of suffering that led to death. But it didn't end there. He overcame it. And so because of that, the scene is set for all of God's people, especially those who will suffer for the cause of the gospel, for encouragement, for hope, and for the peace and the joy that can be their portion in spite of everything else. And this one who is speaking, this is what he has to say. I know your tribulation and your poverty. So here he is. He knows everything anyway. He's above and beyond. Of course he knows it. But his knowing comes near. And he wants to say, I have all of this within my power and I am going to act on your behalf. In fact, he's already acted on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, but he's also acting in their time, in their history. And he wants to encourage them with that. He says, I know all about it. Your tribulation, that's difficulty. That's suffering. And your poverty, it's actually extreme poverty. Now, what we have to understand with this, it is something very straightforward, really. But we know that in this world, in this life, at some point, everybody's going to suffer something. Not everybody is poor, because many are rich. But there is difficulty, tribulation even. And, and sometimes, in that suffering, which is real, it, it's tempting for Christians to think, well, uh, I'm being persecuted for the gospel. But actually, it's the commonality of mankind. Everybody goes through it, whether they believe in Christ or not. And we need to make a distinction between the difficulties of life you know, sometimes people think, I'm carrying my cross because I'm, you know, I'm sick. Uh, well, probably not. There might be specifics where that is accurate, but probably not. We, we all get sick. We all get older. Uh, and stuff happens in your body that you, never, you don't want to, but it does anyway. It's the communality of the result of the fall that impacts us all. You know, whether we're good, bad, or indifferent, whether we trust in the Lord, or whether we hate him, we all get it. And sometimes the unbeliever gets it worse, and sometimes the believer gets it worse. It's not based on any of that. But there is a tribulation that comes because you stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that means something very, very different. And in this case, in Smyrna, now Smyrna, it's, it's this rich, successful, influential city. Our people did well there, financially. But we have this group of God's people, the church that was at Smyrna. And the Spirit says, I know what you're going through. I can even see that some of you are suffering extreme poverty. This is a good church. See, we need to know that. This is a good church. Because 
sometimes people get an, a wrong opinion on this, a wrong idea. I, it comes back from, from a, a Jewish perception that people like the Pharisees had. If you obey the law or if you're a good Christian, you'll prosper financially. Uh, and if you're not, well, that's why you're not doing very well financially. And in certain circumstances, for some people, that might actually be the truth, but it's not the general and the real truth for all. These people, there's nothing against them. They are a good church. And yet, they are suffering extreme poverty. Why? It's persecution. That's, it. That's what it is. But you have to have eyes to see. You have to be able to correctly discern what is taking place. Otherwise, uh, your opinion is of no value. So they're suffering. It's hard. Now, this speaks to us. We must not put ourselves in this because we're nowhere near this. But it does speak to us and it should make us very vigilant uh, because there is no doubt about it that here in, in Canada, of all places, there is the beginning of oppression against Christian people. It's not actually just against Christian people. So let's be kind of discerning and unfair on that. But it is very much focused against goodness and godly standards to such an extent that actually some people are losing their jobs because they've, they've stood for, well, no, I'm a doctor, I will not abort a child. You know, that kind of thing. And that organizations, churches, actually have financial threat against them uh, because what kinds of tax breaks um, may cease to be available. Things like that. So it gets closer to home. It just helps us focus our thinking. I don't know whether that will become reality. I have no way of knowing. It might, it might not. There's worse things than that. These people could hardly live. You know, we've thought about Ephesus and how uh, the banking system and everything, the buying of selling of property of land, actually had to go through the Artemisium, which was a pagan temple. How did Christians deal with that? I'm not really sure. But here they are in Smyrna, without doubt. God's people, individuals. You see, it's individuals first that suffer, isn't it? before organizations. But Christians were suffering poverty because they were faithful to Jesus. This is a real challenge. How will we, personally, me, you, how will we respond if increasing pressure uh, is put on? Because then it becomes persecution. So it should cause us to think carefully. But think carefully, not just because of the financial implications, because there is tribulation and poverty that is pressed against them, but they don't move. They stand. They are steadfast. 
We don't know a lot about the ins and outs of this group of Christians. But I can think of a few things that would be helpful for us. It seems to me when you read about a group of people who stand individually and together under persecution, it tells me that they have not strayed from their foundations. It seems fairly obvious to me that it must be like that. Because other churches that, that the Spirit said, I have this against you, clearly they had strayed from their foundations. They were accepting other ideas, heresy, ideas that came from the world outside, stuff like Gnosticism, which is a complex belief system, mystical, they were embracing low moral standards. And so it was about what they believed and what they practiced. Well, clearly this church had nothing against them. So they had not strayed from their foundations. They believed the right stuff. And they were faithful. They were not weak-minded. They were not in and out. That tells me they were not self-centered. Because the self-centered person, they're in and out, according to what suits their particular aim in life, purpose, whatever, however you want to think about that, what they want. They were not like this. I think they loved each other. They must have done. And how that works out is that whatever comes or goes, you do what's right for the sake of the other and the whole. That's, that's how you love people. This is the kind of people they were. They honored the name of Jesus in every way that they could. And here they were, suffering, being pressed on every side. Some of them hardly able financially to live. Maybe they were losing their homes. Maybe they were struggling to get enough food to eat. Maybe it was hard to clothe their kids. All of these things. But they did not move. They were steadfast. Now, in that sense, what you could say is, as, as a people together, they were a pure church. It doesn't mean perfection in the sense that we understand perfection. It doesn't mean that because you've got a whole group of people. They're all at different stages in their life. They have their own thing and struggle. But in the end, when everything is said and done, they were prepared to put everything to one side for the sake of the honor of Christ and the unity of the body. You see? So in that sense, they are a pure church. They, they, they're pure. They're not solid, tainted by all these other false things, the ways of the world, the mindset of the world that somehow has this strange power of seeping in, grabbing hold of the way people think and directing the way they think. This is a strange thing, isn't it? Uh, people seem to, th to have this idea that they have their own ideas and they make their own choices. I, that's really very rarely the choice. The world presses in. And, and people, increasingly so, believe things today that they would never have believed 10, 
20 years ago. How have they come to do that? Have they made some scientific study uh, to come up with the answers to particular issues and questions? Not at all. They have been influenced by the unseen, by the ungodliness, the prince of the powers of the air that presses in and grasps hold of minds and twists them into darkness when believers should have the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ never ever changes. What was right in Jesus' day is right in our day. Now, of course, along the way, the church has messed up on all kinds of things. We know that. Uh, the church has gathered itself with, with strange ideas and strange ways of doing things. We know all that. But if we are authentic and if we are true and if we are faithful, we will go back to this word and we will do the diligence that it takes to discover the unchangeable things that we must hold to. These people were there. It's a, it's a challenge, but it encourages us. And there's much hope in it. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The last people that you should really expect to persecute Christians would have been the Jews. Now, not all Jews did this, but there were some who hated Jesus so much that right from the outset, they were persecuting Christians. And here, it was intense. Now, what the Spirit says is this, I know you, but I know them. They're not true Jews. That's what he says. They think they are my people, but they're not. They belong to Satan. And the Spirit of God is not afraid to say things as they are. And the message to this church is, you take hold of that. I know you are my people, you are faithful. I just want you to know where this comes from. And that's very important that we look into these things, that we know the origin of things that will trip us up so that if tribulation comes, if there is any level of persecution, uh, we will know how to stand. Don't be afraid. Now, of course, it's natural that you're going to be afraid. Nobody in the right mind welcomes poverty, suffering, persecution. But the Spirit of God says to these people, because they're faithful, He says, don't be afraid. Here is the gentleness and the kindness and the goodness of our Lord, who is Alpha and Omega, but yet here he has come and he's conquered death and he's walked the walk for our sake. Don't be afraid. I've been there, I've been through it. And look what happened with me. I overcame. And so he draws near again. But he wants to give them some information. Information, it's valuable. This is the way it's going to go. And it's the devil that's behind it. Always recognize that whatever comes or goes is the devil that's behind it. Some of you will be thrown into prison. You'll be tested in that. Are you going to stand when it comes and you're pressed? Are you going to say, I will stand for Jesus? 
so that perhaps you can avoid the difficulty uh, of losing things or being, losing your freedom. How are you going to do that? But he says this, you're going to have tribulation for 10 days. Now, it doesn't sound encouraging that, because you're going to have tribulation. But what it says is this, the suffering will come, it's intense, but it is for a limited time. And even more than that, it's not going to be for some great uh, long time that never ceases. It's going to be for a limited time. But also it says, God, he is Alpha and Omega. Not only does he know all, he is over all. And he says, I'm going to call an end to this. It's going to be for 10 days. Now, that's not specifically 10 days. It's imagery, it's symbol to show you that God is in control. Be encouraged. This will come. It will press you. But I am Alpha and Omega. I have trod this path before you, and it will be finished. And it will be done with. And these things are not done uh, by human manipulation of politics. Now, if you're able to have proper godly influence in that sphere, use it. But in the end, we have to recognize that God says, enough is enough. I'm going to stand for my people. And you'd be surprised how kingdoms fall, because they always do. Be faithful until death. Now, it means that within the 10 days, some people will actually become martyrs. But even then, it's not finished. Because I'll give you the crown of life. Well, okay, resurrection from the dead. But crown of life is what is called the Stephanotus. It's the victory crown. It's the crown that the competitor in the games was entitled to wear when he overcame his opponent, when he won. And that is what God has for all his faithful people. But you've got to be faithful. You've got to go there. You don't just breeze in. You you can't take the, the easy route and avoid. You have to go there. You have to be steadfast. It's whatever. But God is still there. He's still with you because he has the power over life and death. Anyone who has an ear should hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to be listening. But I think these people can listen correctly. You can listen to all kinds of things, but if you have been influenced, twisted by some of the false ideas that are in uh, five of these seven churches, there's no guarantee you're going to hear the right stuff. But these people do, because they're faithful. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. Now, the second death, we all die once, we know that. The second death is after Christ has judged and we are with him forever or we have no place 
in his kingdom. There's the second death. And you don't even want to go there in your thinking, apart from knowing this might be tribulation for a season, but it will produce something good in the end. Separation from Christ is going to be far worse than that. And so we have a group of Christians here. I don't know how many there were. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs about them. But the very fact that there is no condemnation for them, it speaks so well. And it puts before us something that is doable. They've done it. And by the grace of God, through the power of the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ, by the grace of God, so can we. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.